0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to John Chapter Twenty. John Twenty. We'll read ten verses from verse nineteen through verse twenty eight. John 20, verse 19, through verse 28. When therefore it was evening, on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and says to them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed unto them his hands and his side. The disciples, therefore, were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus, therefore, said to them again, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and says to them, Receive you the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, that is the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Jesus comes, the doors being shut. And stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then says he to Thomas, Reach hither your finger, and see my hands. And reach hither your hand, and put it into my side. And be not, literally that word, would be well translated and become not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Again, bow with me, please, as we pray. Our gracious Father, dismiss from us now our nagging doubts, our doubting fears, our troubled and distracted hearts, so that we may, with our entire redeemed humanity and those among us who are not yet joined to your Son in faith, be able to give full attention to your word. O Lord, our God, spare us not your spirit, but pour him out upon us in copious measures. And we ask such blessing not in our own name, but in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who promised the spirit to those that believe upon him. O Lord, do not turn away from us now, but now deliver us in our weakness. Give grace to the preacher and to the hearer that your word may be preached without man's meddling, without the distractions of sin, without the distractions of wrong motives or lack of attention. O Lord, gear up a computerized and transistorized and short attention span congregation. And help us to give concentrated heed to your word. And help me deliver it so that it is faithful to the truth. And by your spirit run it through to our hearts. O Lord our God, how unable and unworthy we are for this task. Come in mercy for Christ's sake. In the name of him who died and rose again and intercedes for us this morning, give glorious benefits and fruit to his saving work by coming near and blessing us this hour. O Lord, you know our need. Do not stay clear of us, but come in mercy for Jesus' sake. Amen. There is nothing more precious and blessed to the sight of discouraged and fearful saints, nor is there anything more vital and needed to the sight of the doubting and negligent sinner than the wounds of Christ suffered at Calvary for his people's sins. To the degree that the world has lost its sight of these blessed marks of God's saving love, the world has lost its hope, it's lost its moorings, its sense of justice, its respect for divine sanctions and divine grace. In these prints in Christ's hands and sides, men may again view reality, sanity, truth, and mercy. Here we see man's plight and the seriousness of his crimes against his Maker. Here in these wounds, we view the righteous opposition and vehement hatred of God against our sins. Here we behold the grace that confounds the wisdom of the wisest of this world and overpowers the might of kings. Here the sinner may find his only and his sure hope of deliverance from the wrath soon to come. And here the saint may comprehend his security and his inheritance in heaven. It behooves us, therefore, To examine this portion of scripture so as to learn more fully the meaning of the sufferings and the glories of Messiah. Please help me this morning by giving attention as we join the Apostles in surveying and examining the Savior's wounds. First, consider with me the grace of the revelation. Of these wounds. The grace of Christ in showing them to these disciples and to us. And I've divided this first head up into two subheadings. I want to show you something of the grace of His revealing His wounds, first by beholding with you the condescension of Christ in these revealing wounds. And second, the mercy of this revelation. First, the condescension of Christ. When the Lord showed his hands and his side to these disciples, and especially to Thomas, he granted far more than anyone had a right to ask. He came way down to let them see his wounds. There's great condescension in his tender willingness to come and accommodate their fleshly weakness and show them that which would make them glad in their discouragement and in their fear, and to show Thomas that which would grant him the ability to believe. Great condescension. What gall of Thomas to dare demand of Christ the terms on which he would believe. Did you read those words again in verse 24, 25? Verse 25 he says, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Do you get the sense of Thomas's statement? Resolute. He's not present when the disciples are gathered. There's no resolution there. But when they report their meeting with Christ, that doesn't faze him. Apparently, Thomas is acting as some men act when they separate themselves. And as Proverbs 18 tells us, he that separates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. He should have been there. He wasn't there. But his attitude is so self-centered that when they come and report it, he won't listen. He wants to be different. If I don't see it with my own eyes, I don't believe anything I don't see with my own eyes and touch with my own hands. I don't believe he's back. I think it's over. And unless I see those prints, I don't believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. you see the attitude? Resolute. What gall! Here the apostles are hiding in fear. Having forsaken the Lord, why should he waste time with such weaklings as these? Why not find more sturdy followers, more faithful men, more believing disciples? Oh, how far did God the Son stoop to meet the needs of these men of little faith. After all, they had beheld And after all they'd seen him do and heard him say, after the report of the women affirming his predictions regarding his resurrection, these men are still unbelieving and hard-hearted. And yet he comes and shows them his wounds. Why did he show them his wounds? He knew they needed to see them. They didn't deserve to see them. They had no intrinsic right to demand them, but he condescended and showed them. Here we see him showing his hands and his side, first to the apostles without Thomas, then a week later to Thomas himself, singled out, Reach hither thy finger. What, what electricity must have been in that room when the Lord came a second time. Thomas is here all week in his resolute unbelief. And here Jesus is to accommodate him. And he looks at Thomas. Says, Thomas? I can imagine what Thomas must have been thinking. How did he know? Who told him? One of you guys tattled. He knows. And he cares. Thomas? Reach hither your finger. He puts his compassionate eyes on that index finger of Thomas and he offers a feel of his wounds I'm accessible Thomas nothing to hide here there's no trick I'm playing you want evidence here you demand evidence here I wonder how many times when the apostles having their bickering and their debating about who was greatest the Lord would humble himself and serve somebody in the midst of the argument I wonder how many times they were fussing over whose turn it was to do the dishes and he did them that is Christ like you know and here he is showing compassion and patience and tenderness how humbling touch and see you want something here take it not going to debate this issue, not going to beat you down here. I'm here now. What's your problem? What do you need beyond this? Do we allow people this many chances? Do we exhibit such forbearance and patience even with our own children? How many times did these men show unbelief after all they'd seen? Even in the text we read in Matthew, what does he say to them? Oh, you little faith, how soon did you forget the 4,000 and the loaves and the 5,000 and the loaves and the fish? How many times does it take for it to get through your skulls that not only do I care about you, I'm going to take care of you? I've never said anything that wasn't true. And if they weren't true, I wouldn't have told you. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many abiding places. I would have told you if it weren't there. How long is it going to take for you to get settled in your faith? Do you understand it yet, dear brethren? You do not have to spend the rest of your life doubting Christ. It is not noble of you to do so. You're not being more Christian to insist on little faith. You could, you know it, you could believe. And you could act boldly in the name of Christ. You ought to. That's His will for you. It is not His will for you to limp your way through this world and die in semi-belief. He's compassionate on, on such But you and I aren't are we Your children make a mistake Sometimes once And you're on them Like a hound onto a rabbit Or twice And it's unforgivable Or three times And the temper flares And the hands flog And the mouth yells The Lord Jesus isn't like that Thank God He still bows low to the weak. I love the psalm. Psalm 138, verse 6. And it's one that I remember to myself frequently because I need it. It says, For though Jehovah is high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. He is high. But he has respect unto the lowly. The Lord Jesus considers the finger of his little people and the little hearts, and the negative, and the ignorant minds, and the weak flesh. The Lord Jesus condescends greatly. You see his grace and his condescension here? This is quite a stoop for the Son of God. Why would you want to keep concentrating on these wounds? It seems almost demeaning to let this brash unbeliever touch these holy wounds. And yet here he is, inviting him. Note in the second place, though, the mercy of Christ in this. Not only the condescension, but the mercy that displays his grace in revealing these wounds. Thomas had skipped out the first meeting, brethren. We don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. Why a second chance? How many times have you skipped out when the Lord came? But you're still here because he didn't skip out when you came. Are there still among us those who assume... That because you came this morning, he has to come? Because you're here, he better come. I mean, after all, Lord, I went to the trouble of showing up. Yet, with it, Christ. We're gathered. Where are you? Unless I see you, I don't believe. Lord, you can't expect me to come regularly if every time I come you don't make me feel something. How many ways do we tempt God? Thomas is acting like a man who's in control of the universe, who sits on the throne of judgment, and he'll decide when the resurrection is true and when it's not. When I see, I'll believe. When I touch, I'll believe. Not before. Is it merciful that the Lord lets this man have a second chance and ha- has a touch and a look? I submit that it's extremely merciful. How would you have reacted the next Sunday? And you come and Thomas is there. If you were the Lord. Well, if you were in his position. You might ignore Thomas altogether. Sorry Thomas, you missed last week, you're out this week. We better be careful. There's not a one of us in this room that has not had untold overlookings of God for our negligence. How many Sunday mornings have we cried, O oh Lord, forgive me for how negligent I've been all week. And here it is the Lord's Day again. I've hardly cracked your book open, and now I want to come and be blessed. When I did read it, I was in a hurry with my mind on my job and thirty other things, and I've never yet all week given myself to time with you. O oh Lord, don't forsake me today on your day when I've forsaken you on all mine. And how often has He come? No other reason than mercy and poured out blessing on you. And you look back and say, I didn't do anything to equip myself for this. I've done nothing to deserve this. If the Lord were to respond to me the way I've been treating him, he wouldn't speak to me. Notice the mercy of Christ. I believe Thomas had been rather brash, perhaps rash in his demands. Thomas did not believe. And here is Christ to show him. His wounds. He who suffered the spear of a heathen soldier thrust into his side now certainly allows the hand of a weak in faith. Now I'm going to stop a minute. There are at least five men who are eyes are closed. I want to help you. I can. I feel the same way. It's a dull morning. It was a full moon last night. It's hot and humid. I want you to stretch your backs, take a deep breath, about three or four of them, please. Now you say, Pastor, don't do that to us. The rest of us are paying attention, but I want all of you to hear. And there's nothing more demonstrable of a pastor's concern for individuals than this very text. I can see you each, not only all. I want to help you. Now take three or four deep breaths, get the eyes open. It'll encourage me and help me preach, and it'll help you hear. I do sympathize with the difficulty. The Lord Jesus gladly allows our hand into that side where once a heathen spear thrust itself. And all of this to give hope for blasphemers, for doubters, for the weak in faith, for the obstinate, resolute, unbelieving, Surely He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. And He comes when we didn't even ask. And we, we, didn't, we didn't expect and we didn't believe. And He comes and shows Himself to us. Which of you was seeking Christ when you found Him? He said, oh, I was. I searched for years. What got you searching Who did the dealing? Do you get the glory for being found? Do you get the glory for finding him when he wasn't lost? He is merciful and condescending. Just notice the grace of the revelation of these wounds. Has the Lord shown you his wounds? Has he allowed you time and time again to put him off and he still comes back and gives you opportunity again to renew your faith? How many times have you come back with the same old sins? And how many times has that same blood cleansed you from all that unrighteousness and you have no grounds for it except grace? Don't presume on it, but don't forget it. In the second place, having considered something very briefly of the grace of his revealing his wounds, think with me a little more extensively of the significance of these wounds. And I've divided this up into three parts. These wounds which Thomas was allowed to see, and we don't think he ever touched them. I don't think he needed to. There's no record that he touched them. Something here struck him. He saw and he heard and he believed. But these are significant wounds. First of all, these wounds in the hands, in the side, in the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ validate his resurrection. Now, that's an interesting twist. You might want to say the resurrection validates his death, which it does. It is the resurrection which justifies our faith in his death. He was delivered up for our offenses and raised again for our justification. But I want us to look from the other side of it. These wounds validate his resurrection. Now what do I mean by that? Well, the question here is, who is this? in this room with these apostles behind these shut doors. They thought it could be a ghost. He had to tell them in one of the parallel passages, Touch me! This is not a spirit. I'm not an apparition. That's the struggle here. Is this really the Jesus that a few days ago was walking and eating with us? Is this a mere angel or apparition? Or is this the one whom I saw die with my eyes? Is this the one that said, I lay my life down for the sheep, and I may take it again? The Father has given me a power to do that. And if I lay my life down for the sheep, they that believe on me shall pass from death unto life. Is this the same one? Has he risen from the dead? You see, this could have been a trick. It could have been wishful thinking. They've been accused of it. Could have been a ghost. Could have been some docetic uh, apparition. Is it really the Son of God in the flesh? Crucial question. It's not the same if it's just a vision. I need to know that the one who died is the one standing here tonight. I need to know that the one whose wounds were inflicted for my sins was not held in the grave. For if this be another, it does me no good. You can raise all the dead in the world. It does me no good if it's not the one who died for my sins. Who is this? These wounds validate who it is that rose from the dead. It doesn't make the resurrection meritorious are worthy. It's not that the wounds give power to the resurrection. The resurrection gives power to the wounds, or at least seals them. But it's that this wounded presence connects the resurrection with the real Jesus. When they saw the Lord, it made them glad. Meaning, they saw the Lord that they had been with all this time. This was none other than the same Jesus. You remember the words of the angels on Mount Olivet? To those apostles gazing up into the heavens after his ascension? When they said, why are you standing here gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus which you have seen go into the heavens will so come in like manner as you have seen Him go. A crucial statement. This same Jesus. Just as the Apostle said, we have to replace Judas and we have to pick from among those who have been with us and the witness of the Lord Jesus teaching in life from the beginning. From his baptism all the way up till now. There's there's the must of the continuity between the identity of this same Jesus who came down from heaven, born of a virgin, lived in submission to sinning parents, obeyed God's law perfectly for his people, Submitted himself in utter obedience even to the death of the inane, of, of the criminal's cross, and rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and his coming back to judge the world and to receive its people. It has to be the same Jesus. And it's vital that we understand it is. These wounds validate the resurrection. It made the disciples glad that they knew now who this is. It evoked worship from Thomas. My Lord and my God. This is no fantasy. This is the one who died who has risen. They knew he died, they did not know he had risen. They knew he died, and they thought that ended it. This was Thomas' disposition. He's dead. I'll not believe otherwise until I see proof. It's over. We had hoped this one had been the hope of Israel. But alas, it's over. Now they are afraid of the Jews. They think there's no way that death is not awaiting them. They think surely they're next. There's no hope beyond death. There's no power at work here that we can hope in. They're scared of the Jews. Hiding in the room. But the Lord Jesus is back. They don't even believe the women's report. And even disappearance lacks significance if the one on whom they had pinned their hopes is still dead. If the same Jesus who died hasn't risen, then his death has no saving power. He died the way anybody else. Then you can join the liberals and say it was a martyr's death. A nice example. A good teacher who met up with opposition with narrow-minded people (coughs) who couldn't think past their own selves. That's what many religion leaders teach today. But you see, if this is the Lord Jesus who died, that is back from the grave, then this will conquer us and our fears. He who said, I am the resurrection and the life, He who lives and believes in me shall never die, but has passed from death unto life. I lay down my life that I may take it again. Whosoever believes on me shall never perish. Whosoever believes on the Son of God will have everlasting life. If this is the same one, then we can believe his words. If he overcame death, no more than anybody else ever overcame death, And death has the last word for us as well. But these wounds validate His resurrection. This is the Lord Jesus. Behold these fresh wounds. It is the Lord. The resurrection puts the divine seal on His substitutionary death, else we are yet in our sins. His wounds prove that He rose. No wonder Thomas cries, my Lord. And my God. His death must be what he said it would be because death could not hold him. These wounds validate his resurrection. But, second, these wounds also invigorate his intercession. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And if you need to stand and stretch to hear it, do it. But hear. I say these things for the sake of saints who struggle with doubts and fears. I say it for the sake of poor sinners who are perishing and who need to know there's a Savior. And need to flee the wrath to come. These wounds invigorate his intercession. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever lives, to make intercession for them. The Son of God lives forever, and he lives right now for the purpose of interceding for His people, so that through Him those that come to God may be saved to the utter end. He is able to do it because He ever lives to make intercession. The doctrine of the session of Christ at the right hand of God the Father, interceding as. King over his people, as Messiah ruling, he intercedes at the right hand of God for his people. All the time, he is present, interceding. Now, we know about that doctrine. You've heard that talk. The question is, who is this that is interceding for you and for me? Turn over to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ, having come a high priest of the good things to come, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, now note the distinction made here, among many other distinctions that are drawn clearly in the book of Hebrews, the distinction between the first tabernacle in the wilderness made by men's hands and this more perfect tabernacle, Tabernacle, as he goes on to say, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, nor yet through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. Now who are we talking about? Jesus of Nazareth, who died, the Lamb of God. Through his own blood, entered in once for all into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption. He died. He obtained by that death eternal redemption for his people, and it was through that death that he was able then to enter into the inner holy of holies in heaven to do what? Verse 24 tells us, For Christ Entered not into a holy place made with hands, like in pattern to the true, but into heaven itself, now to do what? To appear before the face of God for us. What is he doing? Through his death, he entered the holy of holies in heaven itself. The place of God where men must meet God and do business with God and be reconciled to God. The place where God must be satisfied. The place where we must have our prayers heard if they are to be heard. Into the throne room of God, into the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwells with His people, Christ entered. Through His death, through His blood, He entered. Now to appear... And in the beautiful language of this translation of the ASV, in before the face of God for us. The language gives the image of God the judge always seeing these woes in the person of his Son. What does God see who otherwise would see my sin and my guilt and my condemnation and his wrath raging against me? He has something in his face. That's the imagery. Before the face of God, Christ appears. The picture is that it's constantly in God's eye. But what is it that's constantly in God's eye? What is it that does this appearing for us before the face of God? We may ask reverently, what is this staring God in the face? The answer is found in these wounds. These wounds invigorate his intercession because these wounds tell us who it is that appears there. This is the Lamb of God who is worthy To receive all honor and glory and blessing and power. This is the Lamb that as it were lay slain before the foundation of the world. This is the Lamb of God that has borne away the sins of the world on his own back. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is God's sacrificial lamb. He is the substitute. Who is this appearing before God? It is the one who, in the right words of the hymn writer, whose wounds are yet visible above. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary, we say. This is the one who dies that is appearing before the face of God for us. Do you begin to see the significance of how these wounds invigorate his intercession? This is not merely someone who has decided to ask God if he would might in our case be merciful. This is not just a friend out there who has nothing to do with us personally, who looks upon us from a distance in compassion and says, "Oh, find a way to let him in." I mean, it's it's sort of it's going to be real harsh what's people are going to say if you put them in hell. It's not just one who has compassion who's begging This is one who in two ways has identified himself with us. He has been made like us in the flesh so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest. And he has borne our sins so that his advocacy on our behalf is much more than simply a pleading with God to be merciful. His advocacy is the presentation of himself crushed for our sins satisfying the wrath of God against our sins. His advocacy is in the presence of a wounded lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. That's who appears before the Father for us. That's what stares God in the face all the time. My sins washed away are there pleading for me. My sins punished in those wounds are there before the face of God for me perpetually, continuously, all the time. God sees not my sin, but my sin buried with His Son. God's dealing with me has to do with the one who's at His right hand before His face, always appearing there for me. you see that? Does that strike a note in that lonely, despairing heart of yours? These wounds, yet visible above, not visible to us, but to God. And to us by faith. That's the answer. That's what appears before God. The one who bore our sins. Before we move on, look at 1 John chapter 2. It's a familiar passage to those who love the scripture, but it's a lovely passage. He states that the reason he's writing these things to these people, probably in Ephesus, is that they sin not. He doesn't want saints to sin. And so the writing of this epistle is to help them live righteously and obey the laws of God. But he says in the second portion of the first verse, If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father. It's the same word used for comforter in John 14 and 16 regarding the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's one who is locked in alongside God. A parapleo, one called alongside of. We have one at the side of God who also is at the side of us. And one who's on our side, on God's side, in the presence of God, our advocate. An excellent translation. With the Father, and who is this advocate? He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if he's our representative, and if we are judged in him, it is his righteousness by which we are judged. What appears before God is righteousness. To the nth degree. It is righteousness perfected. It is righteousness that appears before God for us. In other words, as though we were appearing before God righteous. He's our representative. He's our High Priest. He goes in our place, bearing our sins, having carried them away, now presenting to the Father, satisfied wrath, satisfied righteousness, and perfect obedience as though it were ours. He goes on to say, verse 2, And He, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. Words couldn't be more blessed. Present tense, He is. What is He? He is in His person as sacrificed lamb as risen Savior, as exalted Lord, our propitiation. He is that in which God's wrath is utterly placated. In which the starving lion of God's wrath, as depicted in other places in the scripture, has been satiated. He is in His everlasting presence before the Father, the propitiation for our sins. Dear brethren, if your hopes are grounded in Christ, if you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you children, though we await the time for evidence to be sound and solid of your conversion, if you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sins. Your sins, all of them. The ones when you were angry with your mother and dad. When you said naughty words. When you stomped your foot in a tantrum. When you didn't read your Bible because you preferred to watch a cartoon. When you didn't pray because you didn't believe God was listening. When you put on a front in front of your at church and got home and changed character altogether when nobody was watching God those sins if you have cast your lot with Christ believed upon him have been satisfied at the cross of Christ and you don't have to pay for them they're paid and the one who's at the right hand of God is in his person the propitiation for our sins is now in his present living, appearing before the face of God, our propitiation. Let me interrupt my sermon and ask a question of you who have not settled the issue. How long will you wait to lay claim on such gracious provision for your soul? What doth hinder you from casting yourself on the mercies of God in Christ? what holds you back from loving Christ and giving yourself to Christ and believing on Christ and turning away from your beloved iniquities? What lacks in God's provision that you wish you had? Will you with Thomas demand more than this? Come to Christ and through Him to God. Those wounds yet visible above, the hymn writer says, strongly plead for me. You see, there's more than just words. In fact, some have even questioned whether Christ's intercession even involves verbal praying. Whether it even needs to involve it, I don't know. But his presence with wounds. You say, do you mean to think that in his body there really are still those wounds? I don't think that matters. Whether it's that way or not, what God is seeing is a sacrificed lamb, perpetually seen as wounded for my transgressions, satisfying God's requirements for me. You see how his wounds invigorate his intercession? With his stripes, we are healed. Oh, don't demean that and make it into some sort of wealth and health gospel that says that any Christian that ever gets the sniffles, that he can simply believe God and he's, they're gone. This means much more than that. The, the sickness of which he was the sufferer and for which he, his stripes were em, employed to heal is a sickness of soul. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The scripture says he heals all thy diseases. And to whom is that speaking... Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He forgives all thine iniquities. He heals all thy diseases. This is the disease of the soul. Don't require of God that a saint never get sick or never die physically. But ask of God that he would heal the sickness of soul. By his stripes we're healed. Do the Father seize at his right hand the brands of suffering, our sins punished? Do you see these wounds? These are the wounds which washed away my sins. As long as Jesus lives bearing the proofs of his sacrifice, I'm safe from the wrath of God. Perfect love casts out fear. Well-grown, full-grown, matured, perfected understanding of the love of God in Christ gets rid of fear. Romans chapter 8, perhaps the most uh, wonderful collation of all these truths, from verse 31 and following, where it says, Who is he that condemns? It is God that justifies. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that died. Ah, yea, rather, is risen from the dead. Same Christ who died. Ah, And moreover is at the right hand of God God Ever living to make intercession for us. You see the link between all of it? What God foreknew, He provided redemption for. And He added the, the principle of calling all those whom He foreknew to Himself. And He made them His own. So that now we may say that at that thing, at that one who sits at the right hand of God, we may say continually, the blood of Christ cleanses. From all unrighteousness. If any man sin, he has an advocate. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Oh, may we say it. When God forgives you saints on your knees saying, Lord, I've done it again, forgive and cleanse. He doesn't bat an eye. There's not a wink about justice. There's not a thought in his mind that there's any possibility that his granting forgiveness to the penitent saint is unjust because in his face are the wounds of Christ. I know how you do it. You ask forgiveness and spend three days wondering if you got it. But at the throne of God, and if you learn to believe the testimony of the gospel, it is not so. If we confess our sins, he's Faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've not come to Christ, if you've not turned from your sin, confessed and forsaken your sin, you have not this benefit, my dear friend. You're in a dreadful, in a dreadful lot. Your sins are not forgiven. God will be just to punish your sins on you in hell. Only in Christ, only securely united to Christ by faith, by a whole soul's commitment to God's Son as the only Savior, and as the sufficient Savior, only there can you avoid the wrath to come. But there you will avoid it all. I trust you here: these wounds invigorate his intercession, but third, not only do they vindicate his resurrection, invigorate his intercession, they vindicate his judgment, they vindicate his judgment. This wounded Savior will return one day to judge the living and the dead. The Bible says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. They will see him as the one pierced. They will know for sure this is the Lamb of God wounded for our transgressions. They who did not believe on him will see him in his wounded Identity. They will look on him whom they pierced. Acts 17 verse 31 tells us that God has appointed a day in which he will judge all men by the man that he's ordained, even Jesus Christ. And he has signified that by raising him from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to judge every human being on this earth everyone who has ever lived, and everyone who is living at the time of his return. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, Jesus Christ will judge. The first time he came not to judge, the second time he comes to judge. In Romans 14 it says, He both died and rose, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. In Revelation 6 we see the description of his second coming. And remember what the tribes of the earth say when they look into the heavens and they observe Christ's coming. They realize he's come. What do they say? The wrath of the Lamb. The day of his wrath. The Lamb. The Lamb. The Lamb crucified is angry with the wicked every day. And he will judge. What these wounds do, at least this, they vindicate his judgment. In John uh, 3.18 we read, Right after that wonderful promise that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life, we read these words, He that believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. When Jesus descends in the clouds of heaven with the holy angels in flaming fire, He will render vengeance on them who know not God and obeyed not the gospel. Those who spurned His wounds will suffer His wrath. How will the offers of mercy that are represented in these dying wounds of Christ when they're spurned by the wicked, be viewed by him in that day. How do you think God will view those who, after all he's done, and after they're receiving the free offer and invitation of Christ to come, you that are laboring and heavy laden under the burden of sin, come unto me and I'll give you rest, and they would not. They despise the wounds. They resent the fact that they have to be forgiven free. They, for, they will not submit to a righteousness of faith. They want to take the glory. They're too proud to humble themselves. They want to lay credit to their decision, to their effort, to their prayers, to their believing. They don't want God to get all the glory. How is God going to view them when his wounded son comes again to judge? The very wounds will be the testimony against their unbelief. What excuse will any have in that day when the Son of God who made all provision needed for sinners and who made the invitation worldwide for any to come and be saved and you didn't come, God's wrath against you in that day will be fully justified and those wounds cry out against you. You cannot say God didn't provide enough he who made you is offended by your sins and he will judge you. His death will save you if you believe. His death will be the final nail on your doom if you refuse to believe. Well, I want to conclude quickly by stating in the third place the the intention of this passage. John chapter 20, this passage which we've read, we've seen something of the grace of his revelation of these wounds and we've seen something of the significance of these wounds these wounds validate his resurrection, they invigorate his intercession they vindicate his judgment but in the last place, note the intent of this whole passage and I think you can see it down in verse 31 of John 20 he speaks of many other signs Apparently, John views these wounds as signs. And this appearance as another sign. And he says, many other signs, therefore, in verse 30, did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I haven't told you everything he did. All the signs that he showed. But I've selected some, and why? And this passage and this last sign here, why? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This passage was recorded by the Spirit of God primarily for the intent of the saving of poor sinners. The Lord Jesus would have you behold his wounds, and have you see your sins washed away there, he would have you to believe upon him. These are written that you may believe, and in believing have life. Now there's two sides to this. Jesus gives us this passage and graciously reveals his wounds to us in order to move the poor sinner to believe, but he also does it in order to provide a never-ending consolation for the saints. For you who are somewhat familiar with the Bible, you've already, you've already sucked a lot of honey out of this flower. Even this morning, you don't even need the application to be made to how many consolations you can drink in from what we've preached just this morning. I trust that to be the case. I don't think you need excellent eloquence to draw out of this stuff good things for your soul. But every time we look at those wounds by faith, We see the provision that's been made for all our sins. We also see the tokens of Christ's love. He bore these wounds because he loved me. He loved me and gave himself for me. But notice these wounds, present and future mean that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He who died rose and he who arose ascended and is enthroned making intercession on behalf of those who are in him. He who died intercedes on the ground of his death. Those wounds plead. Therefore nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. He remembers his wounds. He remembers his love. He remembers What he feels and means toward me. He will not forget me. His wounds seal his love for me forever. He died for me. Nothing can remove that from his heart. How beautiful the picture. My name is written on his hands. We could say my name is written in those prints. As one of my children said this week. You know dad I think it's. It's it's the people he picked out for himself that have their names written on his hands. It's the people he picked out for himself. And that's a blessed truth to know that he sought me, found me, chose me, and made me his own and wrote me on his hands. But look how he wrote me on his hands. Wounds. Drink. The never-ending consolation that these wounds still bear for the saints. Oh, dear brethren, this morning before I preached to you, I found freedom in these wounds from my sins. I found encouragement to preach again from these wounds. I found confidence to stand before fellow sinners and declare the unsearchable riches of Christ in these wounds. I went back to Calvary, and I looked upon them, and I analyzed them again, and I remembered that they were for me. And they were satisfactory for me. And I didn't have to own up to God and make it up to God and pay God and earn it any more today than I did last week or last year or five years from now. Those wounds yet presented before God are my salvation. I would wonder about us if we couldn't find some emotional attachment to that. Well, let me conclude by warning you. We're not allowed to have the special dispensation that Thomas had. We must walk by faith. But blessed are they that have not seen and have believed. Do not seek signs. Do not demand it again, how this meshes with the passage we saw in Matthew. Do not require of the Lord something extraordinary before you'll believe. If he gave it, you'd want more. If if you don't believe Moses and the prophets, you're not going to believe if God raises one from the dead and if he shows up on your doorstep. Don't say, if I could have been there with them, I'd be a lot better, Christian. You'd be just what you are, only your, your judgment would be worse. Your problem is not God is not revealed enough to you. Your problem is you have a hard heart, slow to believe all that the prophets have written. This revelation to Thomas, though it was gracious and blessed, was the exception to the rule. Very few have ever seen what Thomas saw. Why? Because you don't need to. If you needed it, you'd see it. Don't be hankering for some vision, some apparition, some statue that weeps, some statue that bleeds annually. Don't pay a dime to go a pilgrims to see something like this. You don't need to go there. You go to Calvary, and you've traveled as far as you'll ever want to travel. Once you see these wounds by faith, you're free. And until you do, you're in bondage. Sign seekers are tempters of God, and God does not like tempting him. He'll show you what you need to see. He is gracious, he is patient, he is compassionate, he is condescending. He will show you what you need to see, but ask him. Seek help for your faith, yes, but not extraordinary signs. Read the scriptures. Ask God to help you. Rivet your attention on preaching, even bad preaching. Get all you can get out of it. You need it. And God will help you. We have plenty. Oh, I tell you, don't become faithless by demanding signs. Be believing, and the Lord will show his mercy. How wonderful that he suffered the infliction of these wounds. How precious that he has revealed them to us. We declare to you, poor sinners, this morning, the saving wounds of Christ. Look to him. Be saved see your sins inflicting those pains see your sins washed away in those pains will you utter those two my's of thomas my lord and my god do so today don't go back go home thinking you've got another week don't speak as one young woman recently said to me after three hours of passionate pleading with the soul and agreed with everything I said and at the end she said I just want to take my time and take one step at a time and have not seen her since maybe I will but don't you be that way my Lord and my God get it settled this is nothing else than God himself Bearing wounds for your sins. Fall at his feet. Turn from your sins. Look to Christ. Saints and sinners. And go home free and blessed. May God help us to believe the gospel. Let us pray. Our righteous Savior and our gracious God. Own by your Holy Spirit to every one of our hearts. These precious truths marking the hands, and side, and feet of our Redeemer. Thank you, O Lord Jesus, for receiving willingly those wounds for us. Thank you, O God, for giving your Son for us. Make it beat in our breast in vigor and power and increasing light. And cause us to walk in the joyous light of such confirmed grace. Oh, please our God, help our faith. In the way you helped others, help us. We do not demand signs, but Lord, we need help to believe your word. Show that compassion to us. Lord, we believe on you. We know you know we're weak. And we expect, because of your own habit and promise, that you will help us. We look forward to how many ways, even in these coming hours, you're going to lift our countenance. Oh Lord, thank you that you're so compassionate, so gracious, so powerful and loving. Make your wounds sweet and precious to us and to many who have yet to see them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.